Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Good morning, good morning, good evening, good evening. That's for our broadcast and that's for our in-person. So we're kind of two places at once uh, this evening. I want to thank you for being here and being with us. Um, I, uh, I had the impression, and I, I don't always say this, so if you're not used to being with us, um, just, just know that this is genuine when I say this. I'm always excited to preach God's word. I'm always excited to, to stand in front of you and to bring the message God has given me. But tonight, and I get the impression that there is somebody that's going to see a real breakthrough in their life. That there's just somebody who's wrestling with things at a profound level, spiritually, internally, in your soul, and this is going to be a, a watershed moment for you. And, and to me, that's an exciting place to be. You heard Justin talk about it a minute ago, just how tough things have been this year. I was talking with my four-year-old Jonah the other day about all the things that COVID has changed. We had just started playing t-ball. Thank God we're able to do that again now, but there were several months where, you know, we weren't able to do all the things and everything we thought this year was going to look like was different. And so my four-year-old and I are, are talking about this and I said, Jonah, what do you think about all that? And he goes, bad news. <laughs> Isn't that so true though? You know, and, and, I, and I wonder, and it doesn't have to be related to, to the, the grand big season that we're all in. It may be something very personal and very intimate and very uh, private but if you were to be honest and I was to ask you, what is your life like right now? How are things going right now? If you were honest, you might just go, bad news, right? Bad news. We all learn to, to socialize with one another in such a way that, that no one's really getting too deep or too close. We, we say the hello, we, we do the fist bump or maybe the air fist bump or whatever it is right now, but, but we do these things and it betrays the fact that very often, deep down in the place of our soul, what we're really experiencing is bad news. In fact, my belief is that every person at one time or another in their life has or will struggle with hopelessness. You either have struggled with it, you are struggling with it, or you will struggle with it at some point. It is just part and parcel to the human condition. When enough bad news begins to overwhelm us, our hope meter begins to drop, and some of us are living dangerously close to genuine, absolute hopelessness. Swiss philosopher Emil Brunner years ago said that what oxygen is to the lungs, such is hope to the meaning of life. What oxygen is to the lungs, such as hope to the meaning of life. That, that is why at 15 years old, when I was feeling hopeless and purposeless, and though I was a good kid, there was a lot of junk going on underneath that no one else knew about. And I came across the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And by the Spirit of God, hope was breathed back into my soul. Something in me said, what if that could be true? What if this is true? What if Jesus actually could bring me life abundantly, or as the NIV said, life to the fullest? See, I believe that the path to abundant life begins at the doorway of hope. 
It begins at the doorway of hope. And conversely, what hopelessness wants to do is to lead us down a path towards spiritual, emotional, relational, and in some cases, if it's strong enough, physical death. Because you know the other part of that verse, John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And what you need to know today is that there is a cosmic battle going on in the universe, and you are involved in it. It's a, it's a battle of God and the forces of good trying to breathe life and hope into your soul and into the world and the forces of the enemy, Satan, and his demons who are trying to breathe hopelessness and chaos and death. You know that battle is happening. But what you may not know is it's happening even all the way inside of us. Tonight, we're beginning a new series called Stories of Hope. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at the lives of people whose experiences whose lives were transformed by encounters with Jesus. Hope in its simplest form, I believe, is the belief that things will get better. It's the belief that things will get better. Things don't even have to yet really be getting better. Hope says hang in there because things will get better. And when we stop believing that, that's when we we begin to succumb to hopelessness. The goal of our enemy is to extinguish hope because if hope goes our life goes with it. Today, we're going to look at a man who is utterly and completely beyond hope. If you've got a Bible or if you've got a way to to access a Bible uh, online or on an app, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. Mark is one of the Gospels early in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're going to be in Mark. And I want to read just these first few verses as we dive into this story. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. This is what it says. Now they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones." We're going to get two clues right at the top of this passage as to what the writer, Mark, wants us to understand understand about this man. What you're going to find out is that Jesus and his disciples had crossed to the other side of the sea. Now, I'm guessing these guys didn't travel very far because it's actually not a sea, but a massive lake, but it's called the Dead Sea. How many of you have ever been to the Dead Sea? You've gotten to float in the water. Okay. That's bucket list. I'm going to get there. But they've got to cross the Dead Sea. It's 11 miles wide, but it's called the Dead Sea. Tuck that away. The Dead Sea. And then it says that the man was living among the tombs. In other words, the man was living among what? The dead. Jesus and his disciples cross a sea that's called the Dead Sea to a place where dead people are buried. Guess what? This guy's condition is death. Spiritual death absolute death. Uh, The writer wants us to realize that. This guy is beyond hope. He's not, in the words of the princess bride, mostly dead. He's all dead, right? Mostly dead we can work with, right? This guy is spiritually, he's all dead. In fact, his life is in such shambles and ruin that people say he can't live with the living The only place he can go to not be a menace and a harm to himself and others is where dead people are. This is the gravity of this man's condition. And we learn that the reason is an unclean 
spirit. In other words, this man is under the power of a demonic spirit. And because of this demonic spirit, he is living among the tombs. He's been bound with chains and his habit is to cry out day and night, cutting himself. And notice that day and night is not a a side note. That's important. This isn't something where this guy was like, he had good days and bad days, right? He had good moments and bad moments. This guy's 24-7 reality is death and chaos. This is where he is when Jesus and the disciples intersect him. Now, this guy's condition seems extreme, right? It seems like an extreme thing, but, but here is what's actually true about this man's condition. And this is going to be a sobering thought. What this man is experiencing, and maybe in an extreme way to our minds, what this man is experiencing is what every person apart from Christ is experiencing. You go, hold on, hold on. I I know people who are lost and they're not like, they're not possessed by demons and and you're right. And and they're not probably crying out day and night and kind of, okay, but, but follow this with me. Did you know that every person who is apart from Christ is spiritually dead? That's what Ephesians 2 says. In fact, look look at this verse. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Dead people can't make themselves alive. People who are spiritually dead can't will themselves to spiritual life. It doesn't work that way. People apart from Christ are also spiritually enslaved. This is what Jesus said in John 8 and verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now the people Jesus is talking to are religious leaders. They're like, Jesus, we're not slaves. And by the way, we're good Jewish people. We've never been slaves of anyone. Jesus says, "Eh, time out. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Just like this man is bound with chains, People apart from Christ are bound to their sin. They cannot will themselves to overcome it. And people apart from Christ are are self-destructive. Romans 2, verses 6 uh, through 8. He, God, will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now you go, Who really wants to experience wrath and fury? And we would say, well, I think nobody. But the truth is, when we follow after uh, the enemy of our souls, when we give in to the power of sin and temptation in our lives, when we choose not to go the way of Christ, we are self-destructing. And it may not look exactly like this man looked living in the tombs, but it is the same issue at play. And so people said, well, we can't have this guy running through the village. We we can't have this guy living among normal people. So their solution is to isolate him. And then notice what they do. This this is the best human thinking that they can come up with. Verse four, they bound him with shackles and chains, but no one had the strength to subdue him. Here's the reality we need to face tonight. When we lose hope in our lives or in any area of our life, we will stop seeking life and transformation and we will start managing death and decay. There are people living like this. Well, I know I'll never really be free, so I just, I'll I'll never overcome this, so it'll never get better, so, and we manage the death and decay. This is what the people are doing. Their solution is a stronger chain. 
a stronger chain. Now I want to tread carefully here. But you know people who are looking for stronger chains to subdue what's going on inside of them. The issue for this man was first, regardless of whatever else was needed, the issue was first spiritual. And we live in a world where people want to bypass the spiritual reality of the brokenness in their souls, and they just want stricter rules or, or, or harsher consequences for people or a stronger medication to subdue it. And what they need is spiritual breakthrough. See, physical solutions can be a part of the solution, but they will never solve spiritual problems. This man's problem was that there was an enemy, the the spiritual forces of darkness that lived within him and were driving him mad. And nothing short of that changing was going to be a solution for this man. By the way, this is also the problem with the Old Testament law. Okay, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that we're broken up into Old Testament, New Testament, kind of the time before Jesus walked in the earth and the time that Jesus came. And the very reason that Jesus came was because the laws that were in place could never ultimately transform people. It could just manage the brokenness. And Jesus came to bring a new way. That's, that's why I love in verse 2, it says, when Jesus stepped out of the boat. Because the truth is, it might have been dozens, it might have been hundreds, it might have been thousands of people who had stepped out of their own boats and come and thrown stronger chains on this man to subdue him. But what this man needed was not someone strong enough to subdue him. What he needed was someone strong enough to save him. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, everything changed. Go back to the text, Mark 5 and and starting at verse 6. And when, Jesus, uh, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Jesus was saying, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Notice a couple things that we see in these verses. First, is the great number of demons who were controlling this man. Jesus says, what is your name? And the demons respond, legion, for we are many. What is that about? Well, a legion was a Roman military term for between 3,000 and really closer to 6,000 uh, Roman soldiers. And, and that was a legion. That was like, a, that was like a, a battalion. That was a group of soldiers. And so there's a large number. It's not just one, but it's many spirits controlling this man. And it's also not insignificant that they use a term for a violent military force. We are legion. We, we are so many and we are so strong. This man is not getting out from under our control. But secondly, and perhaps more surprisingly, is notice the response of the demons when they see Jesus. Verse 6 tells us what they do. And it bow up. You know, they didn't get ready, go to fisticuffs. They ran and they fell down before Jesus. These beings who had tormented this man day and night, presumably for months or years, who nobody had the power to overcome, when Jesus steps off the boat, they run and they fall on their face before him. The man falls on his face before Jesus because they understand who he is. Did you know that demons have a correct understanding of Jesus? They have good theology. 
They say, Jesus, son of the most high God. By the way, this is the only time that phrase or that title is ever applied to Jesus. It's not that it's not true. It's just that these demons are the only ones, the only beings who ever called Jesus son of the most high God. That word most high is a military term. It's the highest ranking official in an army. You following it? We're legion, but you're the most high. We don't have power like that. And so the man comes and he falls on his face before him. You need to know that it's not enough to have right theology or head knowledge. That's what James tells us. uh, James chapter 2 verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. See, some of you grew up with a theology that said, if you check the boxes of who Jesus is and what he did, you're saved. James says, hold on, the demons check those boxes. Demons have good theology. Demons understand who Jesus is. You need something more than just right theology. These demons in their right theology are still trembling in fear. They're begging Jesus not to torment them. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Would any of you be honest enough, maybe online or in the room, any of you be honest enough to say, I've struggled with fear in different points in my life. When I was a kid, that was me. I, man, I couldn't go to sleep at night. I was exposed to some like, like hellfire and brimstone kind of stuff when I was really young. And I thought there were demons living under my bed. It was not a good situation, right? Some of you can relate. And I, and I battled with fear. I was sure that somebody was going to break into our house or some demon was going to come get me. And I, and I battled fear. And when I began to follow Jesus as a teenager, I laid hold of this verse. In fact, I got a shirt printed that had this verse on it. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Do you know that the anecdote for fear is a better fear? (laughs) Right? You don't drive out fear by just believing it's not there or, or willing it away. What you need is a fear of God that's bigger than your fear of the things around you. See, that's what's happening here with these demons. They recognize they were occupying space that belonged to somebody else. It's like the Robin Hood cartoon movie where Prince John is pretending to be the king. You guys remember this movie? Some of you kids who are watching online or kids in the room. And do you remember when King Richard returns? And he's like, oh no, like, oh, it's all the game's up. And these demons were were sitting on a throne going, hey, we have control. And Jesus shows up and all of a sudden they're trembling because they know that it's not really theirs to occupy. See, the gospel is not about reforming behavior. It's about removing an enemy force and replacing it with the rightful king of your heart. This is what the Bible calls repentance. This is why all the other religions in the world, they say, well, we're just gonna, we're gonna help you to, to reform your behavior through meditation, right? Through through. through practices that improve your your marriage or your disciplines or whatever it is you know self-help but this isn't how the gospel works the gospel works by going all the way inside of us removing the sin that has occupied and replacing it with the savior who is the lord of our life that is what this man needed it's what every person needs mark chapter 5 go back to the verse verse 11 now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying Send us to the pigs and let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea 
and drowned in the sea. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because that's straight up weird, right? But here's what caught my eye when I was studying this week. Pigs, if you know anything about Jewish culture, pigs to a Jewish person then and a Jewish person now are the ultimate unclean thing, okay? So you've got unclean spirits who are cast into these unclean pigs, and what happens? They go rushing down the hillside. I would love to have been there and experienced this and seen it firsthand, right? And they just like plunge into the water and drown and die. And if you are a animal-loving person, I apologize. This is just what the Bible says happened, okay? But this is what caught my eye. When Jesus showed up, everything unclean was drowned. Everything unclean was destroyed. Now, you would think the person that needed consequences or punishment or to be destroyed is going to be the man who's possessed by these demons, right? But God so loves the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. God's desire for you is not to judge you but to judge the sin in you so that you can be saved and you can be set free. And I love that in this picture. Go back to Mark 5. Mark 5 verse 14. So the herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country all that had happened and people came to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened and to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Now, there's something I've saved until this point in the story that you may not have known, and I'm going to share it now. Before Jesus got to this graveyard and encountered this man, I told you they were on the Dead Sea. What I didn't tell you, and you might remember, is that a storm came over Jesus and the disciples while they were on the Dead Sea, and they were almost killed. One thing I have experienced, and, and I don't have like a, necessarily a chapter and verse to take you to, but my experience tells me, when I am getting ready to have a spiritual breakthrough or to encounter somebody that is a divine appointment that God has lined up, the enemy starts to work overtime. The enemy wanted nothing more than for Jesus and the disciples to be drowned in the sea on one side of the, of the lake because if he didn't stop them, Jesus was going to deliver this man and destroy the unclean things on the other side. And so this storm comes over them. And if you remember the story, they're going, Jesus, don't you care about us? We're going to drown. And Jesus stands up in the boat and says, peace, be still. And in a manner of speaking, in different words, what he has said to the demon-possessed man is, peace, be still. And just as Jesus had demonstrated power over the physical order, over nature on one side of the lake, he's now demonstrating power over the spiritual order on the other. Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. That's actually the only point that I have this evening. You've been waiting for me to get to my first point. That's the only one I got. And when pastors only have one point, it takes longer than three. So bear with me. This is my only point. Jesus has all power. That's it. I, don't, I can't really extract anything else from this, pa from this passage to say this is the point that we, that we need to know, that we need to hear. Jesus has the, the power. And what's so interesting to me is that when Jesus calms the storm in the end of Mark chapter 4, the disciples stand up in the boat, everything's calm and serene, and they say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? 
Do you think the disciples might have had a little fear of Jesus in that moment? It's like, man, we were afraid we were going to drown, but now I'm scared because who are you? Like, what is this person? Who is this man? The same thing is happening once again. Because people are coming, and they're seeing this guy who was so under the control of these spirits, and he's chill, and he's dressed, and his hair is combed. I, I did like that, like he combs it like me. I don't know that he does. However he did it, it was combed, and, and, he's, and he's sitting there, and he's interacting with Jesus. You know what they do? They don't go, oh, we need more of this power. Man, Jesus, you got to. They go, Jesus, you got to leave. <laughs> We're not ready for what you're bringing to the table. We're not ready for power like this. That fear begins to grip them, but in a different way. We're going to go to these last few verses, Mark 5, verses 18 to 20. This is what it says. As Jesus was getting back into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might come with him. And he did not permit him, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is now the fourth time we're going to see the word begged show up, but this time is unique. Do you remember that when the demons begged Jesus to send him into the pigs, he, he did it. When the people begged him to leave the region, he eventually did it. But now this man is begging Jesus to go with him as one of his disciples, and Jesus says, Actually, that's not what I have for you. I got a different plan. See, the man's witness would be stronger where he was living before because everybody that saw him would know something had happened. Some of you want to distance yourself from the people in your past who know you the best, who know your mistakes and your failures and your junk because you go, man, my witness is kind of ruined over there, but I want to offer a different idea. That's where your witness is best. Because it's the people that know you, the people who have walked through the junk with you. When they start to see the transformation in your life, they're going to go, man, something happened. Something changed in you. What is it? And as 1 Peter 3.15 says, we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in us when they do that very thing. See, I believe your mission begins at home with the people who know you best. You notice what Jesus highlights about this man's experience? I don't know if you looked over this, verse 19. What does he tell them to go, or what does he tell the man to go home and tell the the, the people of the town? He says, tell them how much mercy God has had for you. I would be inclined to tell the story of the power. It was was powerful, right? It was this powerful demonstration you got to hear about. Jesus said, it's not the power that you need to tell them about. Tell them about the mercy. Mercy is what they need. Forgiveness of sin is what they need. Grace is what they need. Not everybody has a legion of demons to be exercised from them, but everyone that you encounter needs mercy. More than they need job security, people need mercy. More than they need better political leaders, people need mercy. More than they need financial stability, people need mercy. More than they need even improvement in their marriage or their relationships, people need to experience the mercy of Jesus. It's why in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sent the disciples out, he said, go out into the cities and, 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 and represent me to the people. And they came back and they said, Jesus, it was unbelievable. We saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And Jesus says, good job, guys. I'm paraphrasing. 
He says, but don't rejoice that you saw Satan, Satan fall like lightning. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. This is what he's saying. You got to get this. Demonstrations of the power of God are awesome. We believe they are present. We believe they happen today. But what people need more than miraculous healings and power demonstrations is they need the mercy of God. They need to know that their names are written in the book of life, that they can have hope in Christ. So let me share one final thought as we close. Mark chapter 5. The only reason this encounter happens, the only way it could happen, was not for this man to find Jesus. The only way this happens is that Jesus went looking for him. People who are hopeless don't go to people of hope and and, and search, search them out, right? People who are hopeless don't do that. People that are hopeful go and search out people without hope. It's people that have experienced the mercy of Jesus. It's people who have experienced the transforming work of Christ in their life. We've got to be the ones to go to where they are and to bring the message, the good news to them. And I don't know for sure, but I have a hunch that this man, whether it was days, weeks, or maybe months later, I'm guessing he found a boat and he went back over to those tombs and said, man, let me see if I can find somebody else who was in the situation that I was in before I met Jesus. One of the things that I love hearing is when men and women who have been in the prison system, they come out and they go, man, I'm going back to prison. Not, not because of crime, I'm going back because I want to take the gospel to prisoners. I was one. And, and I understand that. Or, or, or people who have walked through addiction and they say, man, I'm not leaving the group. I'm staying with the group because those are the people I get. Those are the people that need to find the hope and the mercy that I have. I want to bring to your attention, I'm going to keep saying it and keep showing it, but what we call the gospel conversation wall. 1,000 gospel conversations that we've set out to have this year with people. And you'll see those pins are, are, are continuing to be pulled off. These represent, everyone that's missing, a conversation that one of our people had where they were able to deposit hope through the good news of Jesus. I want to encourage you. Do not wait for people to come and find you. They're not looking for you. If you've been redeemed, if you've experienced the transforming work of Jesus, if you have hope, find somebody who needs it and take it to them. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service times, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.